I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players, and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. And uh, yeah, we have the Fire Hackstall Show for you tonight. That's right, we're going to do it. We heard your chance. We know the voice of the people. And we're just going to get right into it tonight. It, uh, no one's happy right now in this nine-game losing streak. They're going to tell you it's a winless streak. But guess what? There are no ties anymore. There's a winner and a loser of every game, and the Flyers have been losers nine in a row. But before we get into it, I have to tell you about one of our amazing sponsors. So, fantasy sports fans, listen up. Did you know that your chances of winning on draft are 80% better than on salary cap sites? That's why you need to try draft. No matter, Jesus, no more getting crushed by the pros. More than 1 million people have already downloaded Draft. Playing a real live NHL draft right now, be done in under five minutes and get paid out the very next day. Drafts are filling every second, so you can join one whenever you want. All new players, get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the code BSHRADIO. That's B-S-H-R-A-D-I-O, all one word. That's right, play in a real money draft for free just by using the promo code BSHRADIO. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure, you'll love it that they're offering BSH Radio listeners a money-back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and play for free right now with your promo code BSH Radio. So as I alluded to, guys, we heard the chants last night. Uh, I believe some of them may have even resonated from a person or two on this show right now. Uh, as I've said, I've run out of hack slack. Uh... I tried to justify and trust the process. I don't believe I can do that anymore. So without further ado, uh, I'm going to bring to you the Fire Hackstall Show. But not just Fire Hackstall. That's not what we're going to start with tonight. Tonight we are going to start with answering the question that comes after the statement Fire Hackstall. And that question is, then what? Who's next? So, and to answer that question is going to be the rest of my panel for the evening. Uh, first and foremost, uh, let's mix it up. I'm going to start with... TheAthletic.com's very own Charlie O'Connor. Thanks, Bill. So, before I say this, I will note that I'm not necessarily advocating for Haxall to be fired, like, tomorrow. But, but if, we are, if, if we're operating the assumption that he will get fired at some point over the next couple months, I would use Chris Knobloch as the interim. Um, I was against this for a while to be honest, because I thought to myself, there's no way they'll hire another guy with no NHL experience after a guy with no NHL experience didn't work out. But the more I think about it, the more I just don't care. And my reasoning is this. If you're going to fire a guy midway through the year, you're probably going to go interim, and that interim option is probably going to be a guy who's in the organization. So that leaves basically four options. You got Knobloch, Scott Gordon, who's in the AHL, coaching the Phantoms, 
Gordon Murphy and Ian LaPerriere. Gordon LaPerriere and Murphy are their low upside choices who I don't want coaching this team in the long term. And I'd be worried that one of those guys would ride just a hot streak at the end of the year because the, the bounces finally start going the Flyers way. They win some games. Then Hextall decides, hey, maybe I'll give this guy a shot as my full-time coach. I don't want to risk that. With Knobloch, I don't mind risking that because I think there's upside there. I think he's he's got good ideas. I think he's a fresh mind. And I think he, from what I've gathered from my conversation with players, it seems like he's open to stats, more open to stats than I suspect Hextall is. If he's bad, which he very well might be because he doesn't have an NHL experience, just remove the interim tag at the end of the year. Maybe even keep him. Keep him as an assistant. And then go out and find somebody better. But if he's good, I wouldn't feel bad about keeping him around and you know taking the interim tag off. So that's why I, if, if they let him, if they let Haxel go before the end of the year, I'd say just give Knobloch the interim and see what he can do. The fly by herself, Kelly Henkel. So I am... Absolutely operating under the assumption that Charlie was in the press box yelling fire Hackstall during <laughs> yesterday's game. <laughs> no comment. That, I think that definitely I think happened. he had his I think he had his chest painted fire Hackstall and ripped off his shirt. That sounds right. I saw him, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds very much like a Charlie thing to do, but anyway. <laughs> so the thing that I struggle with is that I definitely want Dave Hackstall to be fired, but then I I don't have in my mind a person that I want to be the coach of this team. And that is a tough thing because I think it's tough to be so adamantly in favor of a move, but not have an answer for the empty void that you know that that move is going to present. So for me, um, like Charlie, I kind of think that you would have to go with an interim from within the organization. And I like the idea of Knobloch, but part of me worries that if we make him interim, and then take him off of that because he's not good, that he's not going to want to stay with the organization, and he seems to be a good guy uh, to have around for the kids. Um, the power play's been not terrible, so I, I kind of like him there. Um, so I've just decided to pick a name out of a hat, and I just picked my favorite name, which is Gord. So I choose Gord Murphy for no other reason other than his name is Gord, and he's also not Dave Hextall. And also he would be interim. And then we can revisit this in the summertime when I've had more time to think about it. The end. Last, but certainly not least, my broadcast partner in crime, Steph Licious D, Steph Driver. So I agree with really a lot of what everyone has said. Um, but I, I am particularly entertained that this fire hack stall movement is just picking up steam now and and everybody is talking about it when really it's been a thing for about a year yeah just we are trailblazers on this show if you ask me yeah I, i've been screaming to fire hackstall for a long time so you're welcome everybody else um along with kelly i don't have an immediate thought for for what's next and 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 i kind of would like to challenge the fact that we need to have an idea for what's next. I, I think that it, it's perfectly logical to say to right the ship, you need to make a change. And, and that's enough right now. Um, yeah. be, because nothing, nothing is going to be different. Nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to get better. If you just continue to put your head in the sand and say, no, this is okay. And, and everything that he's doing is fine. Um, all of that being said, an interim head coach does make the most sense right now. So just looking at the landscape of who's out there, 
you've got Tippett, who's coming, who came from you know, Arizona. Um, who knows? I, 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 what I know about him is that he played Jacob Chikrin in his draft year, but he also held on to Shane Doan until he was forty. So, I, I don't, I don't have a great answer for for that. Um, Dan is saying that he wants to know more about. Hold on, I've got to pull up the name because I, I'm not prepared. Um, uh, Dallas Eakins is someone that he has on his radar, um, but doesn't know enough about him other than he did not do well in Edmonton, and I I, I don't I don't know enough either. Um, what I do know is that there will probably as there is every season, be a whole slew of firings right as either the playoffs hit or immediately afterwards. And there could be some really good coaches on that list, like Barry Trotz, like Elaine Vigneault. Like, these are guys who will probably be out of jobs. It's it's always a chance that they would want to come here and they have NHL experience. And that's uh, kind of my thinking, is I think they should definitely go with an interim because in, in – an in-season hiring um, of an outside guy, that's how you get stuck with a Daryl Sutter for three years. Ugh. And I, be- I believe that's just like a, a spinning the tires kind of move. I don't want Dan Bilesma. Oh, like God. That's, that's I, not I would I'm... die. Like, I would I would become a fan of another team. That would be it. And I don't want to, like, I don't know. I, I guess any Knobloch has the most upside, so you give him the chance. But I almost want like just a veteran force, like a like a Gord Murphy or even a Scott Gordon, to get the uh, to get the uh, to get the opportunity. But then have a full coaching search at the end of the season because I don't believe any of those guys are your long term answers. Well, what I think it, it you're you're conceding when you fire your coach in the middle of the season, you're conceding that this is pretty much a lost season. Yeah. Um. I don't think that you need to go and hire the long-term guy in the middle of the season when you already know that things are probably not going to look up for the rest of the season. And that's why I, I don't... would really hesitate to bring up um, uh, Scott Gordon yeah, no. from the AHL because they're the fandoms are doing well. Like, let's not shake up the entire organization because Dave Haxtall sucks. And that's why I don't want to go outside the organization before the end of the season. I want to be able to do a full coaching search uh, when guys start getting fired at the end, when there are a lot of openings, uh, a lot of other job openings. I want to be able to bring people in, get a ton of interviews. But I have identified who I believe to be the best possible coach for this team. His name is Jim Montgomery. I actually love this idea, William. He won the national championship with Denver last year. He made it to the final four the year before. Uh, the team has improved every year under Montgomery, and they're currently ranked number one in the nation. Uh, he won a couple of USHL titles in three years, coaching the Dubuque Fighting Saints, uh, captain of the 1993 National Championship University of Maine. He played 122 NHL games between 93 and 03. He fits my Doug Peterson criteria of not a great uh, player at the top level, but a guy who knows how to get it done. Uh, the Flyers claimed him off waivers from Montreal in 95. He played 13 games with the Flyers and won a Calder Cup with the Fandoms in 98. He had a very productive AHL career and he is recognized for nicknaming 
the Legion of Doom line. I really dig his resume, and I definitely want to see how everyone would react if they went out and hired another college coach. Yeah, but former Flyer, Jim Montgomery. That's the yes. most important part of his resume. He played Absol- for the Flyers, so he's qualified to coach the Flyers. That's really Absolutely, all yeah. yeah, yeah. I just, I think it would be fun. I, I really like his resume. Uh, I have a buddy who interned for uh, for the team last year. He told me a lot of things just about how the team was run, the different things that he was tasked with tracking, and uh, I, I'm really interested to see what he could do. Again, he's had all this time in different developmental leagues, so I think he'd be good with the young guys. He's a proven winner as one at every level. I just, uh, I think he's the guy. I mean, he could be what Dave Haxtell was supposed to be, which is a good coach coming out of college who can help with the young kids, but this one actually won in college. But And he knows how to relate to NHL players because right. he played in a, he played, I think Haxtell's highest level was like the International League. Montgomery had a 10-year NHL career. He played a ton in the AHL. He knows how to relate to grown men as well. Haxtell never had that experience. And that's where I want to take the conversation now. Um, it's with Dave Haxtell. He is the story at the moment. Um, the first thing I want to ask you guys, they've lost nine in a row. I started off saying it's not a it's not a winless streak. There are no more ties. This is a losing streak. I don't care about the loser point. They've lost nine in a row. Is the coach the reason for the streak? I think ultimately, yes. Um, I think that you can pick apart individual games and you can hang individual games and individual efforts on players or lines or defensive pairings or mistakes. But I think when you string together this many losses and we're still looking at problems that we were talking about last year, um, then yeah, it's it's on the coach. I mean, this is something that we talked about about a billion times last year. When every when there's certain things that are going wrong, you can pinpoint and blame players. But when everything is going wrong, that's on the coach. And we're back to everything going wrong. Yeah, I, and I I agree. Um, and I don't think that it's all on the coach. Like you can definitely point the finger in about 12 different directions saying that this is their fault, this is their fault, this is their fault. So, yes, the losing is Hackstall's fault as he oversees everything that happens. But the eight games that they won, probably also his fault yeah. too. So, like, there True. is some success there. Um, he, he's just he, – he's out of his depth. He doesn't know what he's doing, and he makes panic reactions like switching up the lines – every 10 minutes during a game that's not good for anybody and i mean um and and just doesn't know just know how to play up for competition it, it's it's very bizarre what's happening and like i i do want to be fair because i don't want to just i feel like there's a tendency to just shit on him because we've identified him as the problem and we want him to be fired okay however it's i think it's important to acknowledge and this is something that charlie pointed out in his observations today this team has played relatively well over this stretch of losing. Mm-hmm. However, the losing comes down to, in my opinion, small in-game decisions that Dave Haxtell made that he could have made differently that might have ended in a different result. If we look at the Penguins game, where the Flyers didn't play a terrible game, and they took a team that is, I mean, I think, un- inarguably better than them to overtime. Okay, that's good. 
but then you look at who Dave puts on the ice in overtime, and it's like, are you even trying to win this game? Like, oh my god, there have the been games that Giroux have been I, I, yeah, I see that in my nightmares. Yeah, and it's just it's frustrating because there are at least four or five games during this nine-game streak that they very easily could have won if just a couple of things had gone differently. And I have to believe that if the coach had made different decisions in-game, maybe they would have gone differently. I want to get Charlie's opinion on this before I make my comment on the the process is good thing. But, Charlie, do you think the streak is on the coach? So, before I kind of go into that, what I what I do want to say, and this is something that's it, it, it's kind of something that's accepted in stat circles, but it's never something anybody in stat circles wants to say out loud because it just comes off as, like, missing the point of hockey. And basically what it is is that, like, the individual outcomes of the the outcomes of individual games are kind of random. Like you can outplay a team and lose. You can play like crap and win. If a goalie has a good game or a bad game, if bounces go your way or whatever, like individual games are really really hard to project because there's a lot of randomness in hockey. So it's hard to say, you know, okay, well this was the coach's fault because it was it maybe a little bit, but it was a little bit the player's fault and everything like that. So, that being said, though, when you lose nine straight games, now you're getting into a pretty large sample size. Not an incredibly large sample size, but you're getting into a pretty large sample size. And at some point, what I've noticed about this team, and, and, and Haxel even said this after the game, somebody said it's the same problems popping up, and, and Haxel was like, no, I disagree. I think it's different problems popping up each game, and I, I actually 100% agree with Haxel. 100% agree that it's not the same problems. It's, it's, every game, it feels like there's another reason why they're losing that wasn't a reason before. First, the goaltending was fine. Now the goaltending isn't playing as well. The penalty kill was playing poorly. The penalty was playing a little bit better now. Now 5-on-5 five five is falling off. Like, it is, it is as I've described it, it's like you're on a boat in the middle of a lake and you plug one hole and then when you go to plug that hole, the another hole opens up and then when you go to plug that hole, the original hole opens back up and you continue to sink. And that's what's been going on. But as the coach, it's not just your responsibility to plug the holes that are there. It's also your responsibility to anticipate future problems and address them before they become actual problems. And I think that's been what's been missing from Haxtell in this streak, is that there are issues that pop up that a really good coach would have made sure that they never were issues in the first place because he would have addressed them in practice or in meetings or in conversations with players and whatnot. And in the end, like that's the intangible part of coaching. The intangible part of coaching is, is the problems that you address before they even become problems. And... To me, the results are showing, and not just the results in this streak. It's the fact that literally ever since that the end of that ten game winning streak, this has been like what, like a, like a, like a thirty six percent win win team. Like th- th- this has been going on for a while, and clearly over the course of almost a full season, he hasn't had the answers. And at some point, you know, after if this was just a nine game, like if this was. This is a nine-game losing streak from Joel Quenville. I would be like, okay, yeah, this sucks, but we know this guy is good. We know he's had success. I can trust he'll figure it out. I don't know what we've seen over two and a half years of coaching from Dave Haxall in the NHL to have us reasonably believe that he will figure this out. Like, there's no track record to make me think he will. He might, but there's no track record to make me confident that he will. 
that's uh, that's part I wanted to bring this up. Our good friend Colin Mahalik tweeted this uh, today. <laughs> Since the ten game winning streak, they've lost forty six of seventy four games. That's that's bad. Like that's what a bad team does is lose a bunch of games and. I keep hearing that the process is good, except for the Sharks game. Everyone admits, like, the Sharks game was bad. But I keep hearing that the process is good. Um, They're playing well, but they're just making a few critical mistakes that cost them leads. Uh, That's not playing well. This is a league of parity. Except for, like, two teams that just have no talent, everyone's basically the same, and it's judged by how you handle a few critical situations. Uh... A few bad penalty kills, some missed saves, two goal leads becoming loser points instead of two points. That's the difference between good and bad teams. These teams, for the great majority, don't have huge talent disparities. Playing well for 20 to 40 minutes is not playing well. They don't, we need to play 60 minutes. That's a cliche we hear all the time. They're not. That means the process is bad. I know that we can point to certain things and say we take encouragement from them, but overall, I just don't like what I'm seeing at all. When you look at they've lost 46 of 74 since the 10-game winning streak, it isn't just this, this nine-game losing streak now. It's so many things. And yeah, like you see the Hextall quotes, oh, well, you know, if they you, you win the shootout, you do a couple of different things and we could be five and four. Yeah, are we, sure. Are we going to get into that? Because but you're not. I mean, to, to be just over 500, it, like that's still nothing to be proud and excited about. Yeah, and, and to Hextall's credit, he did say that in today's interview that, you know, yeah, we yeah. could be 5-4. and four. Not that that's okay, but it's not this. It's so, not 0-9, okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you brought up the process again, William, and I'm still not sure that I even know what the process is with this team. That's a great point. And it's something – so this kind of goes to the fact that, for me, this extends past Dave Hextall. I'm still not sure that I trust Ron Hextall. And – I got into a bit of a conversation about this today on Twitter um, because I was listening to NHL Network Radio in the morning, as is my way, and uh, Pierre Maguire was on, and they were talking about the Flyers, which happened a lot today, actually, um, all over the place, which I guess is predictable. But anyway, Pierre um, kind of – he hammered home a couple of times that the team is transitioning um, to their A-level prospects, and in a way, they are. Um, but not all the way and not enough that I feel like they should be this bad. And then you get to Hexall explicitly saying, I can't have that number of rookies on my defense. Like, you guys don't get it. You can't play a bunch of kids on defense. It's not going to work. You have to have Andrew McDonald back there settling things down. Yeah, if you don't have him, you might lose nine in a row or something (laughs) crazy like that. (laughs) It would be disaster. That gets me to a place where I'm like, is what Ron Hextall's plan in is, which seems to be kind of this half-in, half-out rebuild, where you rebuild while you're also trying to win games and get into the playoffs, is that even a thing that can actually work? Because it would seem that it doesn't work, that you have to sacrifice one of those things for the other. You either have to sacrifice winning games to rebuild your team in a proper way, or you sacrifice a proper rebuild in order to try and win games. And we seem to be doing the second one, and I don't like that. I would rather that we went full rebuild and lost games, because we're losing them anyway. So why not go full Mm -hmm. rebuild? But they seem committed to this idea of being half in and half out of the rebuild process, and it's not working. 
at and all. No, said- and and a lot of a lot of people are saying, well, what did you expect when you play all these rookies and you guys wanted all the kids and look at what happened? But that's not happening. That's not the fucking problem. It's the kids that are, the kids aren't playing. If they were, if they lost games because Sam Moran blew a coverage, like that's. That's growing pains. But it's Jake and Voracek. Like it's, when it's like that's the right. Or or when it's Andrew. Uh, no, I was gonna say Andrew Manning. That's not a person. Brandon Manning. <laughs> it, it, it might be though. It, it, it might. Are be. they really the Brandon same Manning? Like you're not at all part of the future of this team, but you're impacting the future of this team. Like you directly by being a fuck up are impacting our draft position and the future of the team. Yeah, and then they go into a skid, and they sit Taylor Lear and Jordan Wheel, and they bring in Latera and Weiss. Like, how? how what are you work? doing? I don't under. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, that's not part of any process that I want to be a part of. It's not yeah, going to solve any problems. We've all said all along, you know, if it was Vecchioni and Limblom making the mistakes, we wouldn't have a problem with no, it. No, I've if said they that were a just, million times. I would if not they were be just, this angry. If they were just going to lose doing that, I be much more accepting of it but since you're telling me since i'm being told that this team will both remain competitive and rebuild well then i'm expecting you to remain competitive and as of right now their points percentage is 460 which is tied with the montreal canadiens for fifth worst in the league Seems they bad. are head they are ahead of only Florida, Edmonton, Buffalo, and Arizona. Buffalo and Arizona are basically minor league teams. So if you look at actual like major league teams, you're ahead of Edmonton and Florida. And that's it. So, so I will make one point. And I don't disagree with what you guys are saying in that, especially if you look at like Weiss and Laterra over Wheel and Lear, because that's just that's just insane. But that's, that's insane because it's, it's totally overvaluing the talents of Weiss and Laterra completely i think the flyers could be giving rookies more of an opportunity but i do believe that fans maybe aren't giving them enough credit for just how many young players they're using right now like ivan proveros 20 years old and he's getting 25 to 30 minutes a game shane gossis bears 24 he's in his third year he's basically the three nolan patrick's basically that's the second line center robert haig's basically the three or the four travis sandheim is playing every game like they are using a travis connectney is 20 as well and he's in the top nine they're using a lot of young kids could they be using more yeah, yeah, they probably could, especially Lear and Wheel. Like, again, that's insane. But it's not like they're not using kids in – it's not like they're not using kids in, in high-leverage situations. They're not maybe not doing enough for our liking. But I feel like one of the reasons why we feel like they're not is because we don't even really view Pro Rob as a kid anymore. Like, it's not easy well, to use sure. a 20-year-old as a, num- as a number one defenseman. It's that's pretty cool thing, that though. they are. That's the thing is it's not easy to say, oh, yeah, 20, you know, they're using a 20-year-old defenseman and that's commendable as their number one. But who else could they possibly be using to play those minutes? I was going to say, like, like I'm, I'm not. It's because... not hard to give the best player the biggest opportunity. Yeah. That, like, it's like... the same reason Claude Giroux leads the, like, and Shane, and it's the same reason Sean Couturier gets the most minutes because they're the best players. Yeah. I'm not like super prepared to give them a ton of credit for what they've done with Provorov because number one, I think he's an exceptional case in that he didn't really need a lot of transitioning from junior to the NHL. He kind of came in ready, which is a bit of a freak show. That's not something that happens 
very often, especially when he is a bit of a freak show, but yeah, like in a good way. But yeah, yeah. he he could have played his rookie year. He's insanely talented. So if they had not played him twenty minutes a night, they'd be idiots. So it's like I'm not I'm not super prepared to be like, oh wow, they're giving Ivan Provorov twenty minutes a night. How forward thinking of them? Like he's just super good. Before we transition to organizational direction, I want to steer the conversation back to Hackstall for a little bit. Because, Kelly, you have an interesting note here. And I noticed the same thing on Hockey Central today. You say Pierre Maguire uh, was on NHL Network Radio saying Hackstall, not just a good coach, a very good coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he blames the losses on the fact of the transitioning roster, blah, blah, blah. I'm watching uh, Hockey Central at noon today on the NHL With Merrick, Network. Right? I saw yeah. this too. Mm-hmm. And Doug McLean is on there, and he's saying he's blaming Elliot not being a number one goalie. Uh, they won't be good till they find a number one goalie. Uh, said Hackstall, whose name he kept mispronouncing. He was like calling him like Hacksell or something. <laughs> like, it was really, really annoying me that he was calling well, this guy a buddy. very good. He was he was calling this guy a really good coach and couldn't get his name right, and it was really annoying me. Uh, but yeah, he said like Hackstall. Hackstall was a very good coach, and he definitely isn't the problem. The goalies and the young guys are. And I was just like, you clearly aren't watching these games. Yeah, yes. they're they're not. So, they're not. So this is like super weird to me, and here's why. So I heard this exact like word for word verbatim argument being made on the NHL Network radio this morning by the hosts of the Morning Show, uh, Gord Stellick and Rob Simpson. Both, and I don't remember which one said it, but they were saying they don't have solid goaltending. They've never had good goaltending. They don't have a number one goaltender now. That's why they're on the skid. And then Pierre went off on the whole Hackstall's an excellent coach. He's very good. And then I, I was watching the same thing that Bill did today. Um, it's it's a Sportsnet thing, Hockey Central at, at noon. Yeah. Um, and, and they were saying, like, parroting. Exact same thing. The exact same things. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm, like, misremembering the last nine games, but... We've talked a lot about how the Flyers are totally blowing it because Brian Elliott is playing pretty solid hockey. And they're just wasting it. That was the other thing is last night the goal, like all this stems from the fans are chanting fire Hackstall at the game last night. That's what makes this a story. That's what makes it a story across the hockey world. Yes. And I was I was walking into the arena and saw somebody that was wearing a Jacob Voracek shirt but had put masking tape or duct tape over Voracek for all of the letters except for the R and the K and filled in fire hack with the rest of them. Yeah, and then you made amazing. it on Pro Hockey Talk, didn't you? Was it Pro Hockey Talk that your tweet got on? I have absolutely no idea. Oh, some, Nobody told me. Oh, some website had your tweet as part of their Did story they? about the fans turning on Hackstall. Yeah. Hot damn. That's awesome. No, but like that's I, I I hear all this about Elliot today. They all want to blame Elliot because that's the thing they want to do. Oh, we've seen he's not a number one. Like, all right, that's not what his numbers say, but whatever. Um, and all this stems from last night's game where the fans are chanting "Fire Hackstall." Michael Neuvert started, and he was garbage, which is like yeah, you know, he was terrible. Typical that, Neuvert. I know Joe, Joe Thornton is a first ballot Hall of Famer, and like he's the man. Um, I'll say, but uh. Like, that goal he scored, I don't care how good the guy who shot it was. Like, he's looking at you, and he fired it at you, and it went in. No, that that's a that's a play where—and I know I, I mentioned this in my observations this morning. 
the Flyers clearly, as they showed in the final 40 minutes of that game, they're a fragile team right now. Oh, yeah. And Neuvert gave up two goals in the first period that were not good goals. And it didn't matter that Neuvert then in the final 40 minutes of the game played pretty well. He did. He played pretty well in the final 40 minutes of the game, made some big saves. But by then, the team was dead. They were, they were dead in the water. Because once it turned on them in the first period, they just basically stopped playing hockey for the final 40 minutes of the game. If Neuver doesn't give up those bad goals, maybe they keep on rolling to the degree that they were in the beginning of that game when they actually took the lead. Like, Giroux scored a goal in the first minute of that game. It was Neuver's bad goals that turned the whole thing. Now, granted, a, a team that isn't falling apart would have been able to overcome that, and that's a whole other issue. But... If Neuver doesn't give up those goals, maybe he doesn't give the team the chance to fall apart. Yeah, like, that's the thing about this team is you're at home. You've got an eight-game losing streak. Your captain scores 48 seconds in. That is the script of we're we're firing out of this thing. Mm -hmm. And what do they do? Collapse. Almost immediately. Like, they collapsed almost immediately after taking the lead. (laughs) Yeah, I was really convinced that that was like Claude Giroux taking the team on his back and dragging them out of this funk. But uh, no, that is the bad carry all those guys. That is the bad team equivalent of him saying, "Give me that first shift," laying out Crosby and scoring a goal. Yep. Like he mm-hmm. he made a captain's play there. That's the little stuff that you when you go strip the C, you point at and go, "Really?" Because he does stuff like that all the time. <laughs> Like, he made a captain's play, scoring a goal 48 seconds into the game, and then the team does nothing following yeah. that. Just nothing. Yeah, and, I, yeah. And, and I'd like to also make the point, this was this was something that stuck out to me in that game. You know, I wasn't, I, I, coming out of the game, I wasn't at the point where I was like, oh, you know, point fingers at specific players, you know, you did a bad job, you did, because, like, basically everybody did a bad job. But the, the three guys that I thought, like, did a pretty good job in that game Claude Giroux leads the list. It was basically Claude Giroux, Sean Gatoria, and Travis Konechny, who was still skating like a madman in the third period when everyone else was dead. And that was one of the few things that made me feel good. Like, Giroux was, Giroux's effort never really faltered. It was just no one else could do anything. And that made me feel good about him. At least it shows that, you know, whatever his thoughts may be about Dave Haxtell, he's not giving up on this. The, the rest of the team may be in a total funk, and... They may be totally demoralized, but at least Giroux is still going out there and giving it his all. That was that was a positive for me. Uh, yeah, th- th- I'm, I'm doing the post game last night, and I honestly, like I said, I'm not even going to talk about individual players, and I don't even have time to talk about, oh, Weiss and Laterra in the lineup, Wheel and Lear are out. This is like a, a bigger thing than that, and it's an organizational direction thing. And when you hear the Hextall comments, now I want to get into these from the quotes from... Because he actually talked to the media last night, and I guess a lot of it was brought on by, hey, you know, the home crowd who is a pretty supportive, like, Flyers fans, yes, we can be brutal, but, like, overall, fairly supportive. The home crowd is chanting to fire the coach before December. Um, The general... All hundred people that were there. That's and that's the other thing is seats are rarely like empty and last night we looked like one of those towns where it's like oh yeah the football and the basketball team are good because ain't no one going to the hockey games yeah um, it, I, I paid fifteen dollars for tickets <laughs> um, and there were entire sections empty 
Yeah, even a uh, Sammy, Sammy Carcitti this morning was commenting about how he's not seen it this empty in as long as he can remember. So no, I mean the good. year the year they went twenty two and sixty. Uh, they got voted like best fans in the league. It, not, attendance was like ninety eight percent that year. Uh, this is a supportive crowd, and things are going poorly. And so for Ron Hextall to come out and say things like "we're playing well" amidst a nine game winning streak, it just seems misplaced. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah, it's it's awfully. Um of a different tone than everyone else is taking right now. And, like, I I totally get that, like, it's his job to be a cheerleader for his organization, and he's obviously not going to come out and shit on his players or his coach publicly. It's never going to happen. But um, there was a bit too much positivity for me. bit too much optimism. It's very in line with what we're hearing from Hackstall, which is you know, a couple days ago, like, no, we've actually gotten seven points out of our last 10 games. Like, it's totally fine and everything is okay, which is what concerned me at the beginning of the season where it seems like Hextall and Hextall are on the same page. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't I don't expect Hextall to come out and trash everyone. I, I didn't expect him to be as, no, this is fine, everything is good and 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 Hextall is a good worker. I didn't I didn't expect that from Hextall. Um but I, I definitely didn't expect this. That's I have and a couple things I want to comment on me. there, but first of all, the idea that I've heard this word unacceptable so many times today and last night like I, Okay, if it's unacceptable, that means you aren't accepting it, right? We're not, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's like that's what the word means. So if something's unacceptable, that means you're going to do something to fix it. What are we going to do to fix it? Are we going to make a trade? No. Are we going to fire the coach? No. Are we going to fire Anne LaPerriere? No. So if it's unacceptable. Literally nothing. So you're doing nothing, that means it's acceptable. Yeah. You are mm-hmm. accepting it. Because if it was unacceptable, you would do something about it, and that shit is crazy to me. I can't, like, it's just this buzzword. Like, if you ever worked in customer service, as soon as, like, a customer says, this is unacceptable, all of a sudden the manager's got to step in, and, all right, here's a 20% off discount. Like, that's just one of those words, unacceptable. People want to hear it and say it, but something is then done. If it's unacceptable, that means you're going to fix it. No, that's not what this team's going to do. So I want to do, like, what do you make of this calm, stay-the-course approach? Because I have, like, conflicting feelings about it. I both, one, I want to fire everybody and just start all (laughs) over and do all the, I want to do Ed Snyder shit. But also, I realize that Ron Hextall was brought in because of things like, Oh, we had a goalie carousel. We need to uh, bring in Briz for nine years to fix this. And, oh, we're trading Bobrovsky. Oh, Bobrovsky's the best goalie in the league. Well, that's a shame. He wasn't good in the playoffs. Like, uh, So I, like, I'm conflicted because I want things done, but I also realize the knee-jerk shit is how we got in the position that Hextall has to dig us out of. Is it really knee-jerk, though? <laughs> uh, they, they've, so they've won eight games this season. I'm so just, just looking I'm at looking that. at the standings and yes, they're tied in points with Montreal and yes, Edmonton is below them. But when it comes to just wins, 
The only teams that have fewer wins than the Philadelphia Flyers yep. are the Arizona Coyotes and the Buffalo Sabres. I was that just going to say that. I was just going to say that. The two teams I said that are basically releg- should be relegated, they're minor league teams, well, they're the only teams the Flyers have more wins than. So the Flyers technically have the least wins in the league of all teams attempting to compete. Yeah. So, so, uh, so- there's, I mean, Ottawa. Ottawa's tied right there at eight wins. Which is, you know, in three the fewer, AHL, Ottawa Senators, yeah. and Eric Carlson. In three fewer games, and they missed uh, Eric Carlson for the first month. Right. So, I don't I don't think that this is a knee-jerk reaction. Like, this is uh, 25 games into the season. And, I mean, even going back, like you said, the, the stat from before, going back to the 10-game win streak last year, People who listened to this show over the past year, I wasn't that high on the team then. Like there was, there was always this feeling of doom during the win streak, and I couldn't explain it. I couldn't explain it. I still can't now. But maybe this is is starting. This is helping it start to come together. Like it, it just, it, it's not sustainable. The the winning, I guess. I don't, I don't really know how to explain it, but. It's not a knee-jerk reaction when this is a season coming. So the, the thing that fascinated me the most about the Hextall comments is that it, it, was, it was the timing. And, and I get that a big reason why it was done was probably because of the fire Hextall chance. Like, that probably was it. But what he said would have made a lot more sense had those comments came after the Pittsburgh game. After – because – if you're just looking at those eight games, I can buy that the Flyers weren't playing that bad in those games. That, you know, yeah, some bounces went against them. You know, they, they hit four posts in the second period against Pittsburgh. And then, you know, then you give up two goals after that to start the third period because Pittsburgh's a fast strike team and then everything falls apart. Like, it's it's a Murphy's Law game. Okay. Head, the GM comes out there and says, we're not doing too bad. You look at the underlying numbers, things are okay. We'll we'll turn this around. Let's not pin it on the players, not pin it on the coach. That, to me, makes some sense. To do it after a game where your team played like dog shit in every way, there's no way that, that Sharks game could be attributed to anything other than the team getting thoroughly destroyed. And then to go out there and basically act like that game never happened. Like, basically, Hextall, he had a couple, a couple of things where he was like, the energy level wasn't there tonight. But, like, he basically acted like that game didn't happen. He acted like he was commenting on the first eight games of the losing streak and not the ninth game of the losing streak. It almost makes me think, and th- this is sort of, the more I thought about today, the more I took out of his comments. I think these comments were, you know, well, obviously they're, they're directed to the fans to a degree because everything you say publicly is directed to the fans. I think these comments, more than anything, were directed at the players. And here's what I mean by that. I think he watched that game, and he saw a team that he's worried is basically not giving it their all because they're waiting for the other shoe to drop and the coach to get canned. And he wanted to go out there and publicly say, don't be expecting me to fire this coach. You guys got to figure this out yourselves. And he wanted to make it clear to them that I'm not going to solve this problem for you. You guys got to solve it yourself. So I'm going to go out there. I'm going to look like kind of an idiot saying you guys are playing well. The coach is doing what, it, what, I, what I want him to do. Everything's okay because you guys got to figure this out. I'm not going to bail you out of this one. That, that's How honestly – that, that's what I think that it was. I like that he's telling the players because, again – 
I want Hack fired. I know I stuck up for him for the longest time, and now I'm just done with him. I can no longer justify a lot of his, uh, a lot of his just individual decision by decision. I can no longer justify some of the shit he does, and I'm just done with him. Team doesn't seem to like him. Whatever. Um, but I like that the general manager is telling the players who now are like this core is on its fourth coach. You're not going to Laviolette your way out of this. You're not going to Baruby your way out of this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to stick with this guy, and if you don't want to embarrass yourselves, you're going to play your way out of this. See, here's what bothers me about that, is that it plays into this ridiculously lazy narrative that there's something wrong with this core that they haven't been able to win over four coaches, which ignores the fact that Laviolette, and I'm going to say it until I, like, am dead in the grave. LaViolette needed to go when he went. Yeah, absolutely. He, he made a yeah. lot of bad decisions. He he was done here. That was it. Get the fuck over it. Then you mm-hmm. have Barubi. Like, are, are we going to pretend that Craig Barubi was a good coach and these guys should have performed for him in a better way? Like, that's ridiculous nonsense. And and now we're at uh, Three coaches. I was wrong. It's three coaches. Yeah, so it... it I. That kind of thing bothers me because there is a lot of conversation amongst fans that they think there's something wrong with the core group of players on this team, and that's the reason why we're not winning, and it's nonsense. I, I don't think it's the core's fault at all, but at the same time, like, you, you bring up Ruby. I agree. Ruby wasn't a good coach. He deserved to get fired. Ruby didn't get fired midseason. They, no. they, waited, they waited until the end of the year, and then they made a decision that Ruby wasn't the guy. In in this situation, I don't think it's an, I don't think it's even an indictment of the core because I don't think the core has played bad. Maybe Simmons has, but you have the injury. Like if you're going to pin this on Drew Voracek, Couturier, Provorov, like you're just not watching the games and you're letting right. your frustration overcome it. No, they're but, literally the only guys playing well. Yeah, but last night's game was an example of the team just not playing well at all. And if that game happens another five or six times, that type of game, then I don't think you have a choice. Then you have to fire the coach because then the team has quit on the coach. And I think this was Hextall trying to prevent the team from doing that again and again and again. Now, whether it works, I don't know because I don't know if they're just too far gone. But I think it was this was Hextall's attempt to stop the bleeding and make it so, at the very least, they go back to the way they were playing in the previous eight games and not the way they played against the Sharks. And that, like, I, he, that's the thing about when you say, oh, well, we could have won these games and we could have won this game. Yeah, they played bad against San Jose. We'll throw that one out. You can't throw it out when, no, it's, the, when it's the end result of eight in a row you lost before it. But, like, through the first 11 games, I thought the Flyers were playing really well. And on nights they lost, I was like, hey, you know what? Uh, there are things I liked. I can't even say they played poorly. Uh, maybe this happened, that happened. But overall, they're playing well. Since the loss against Arizona, where they just came out terribly in the in the first period, since that game, it has just been this steady decline to lead us to this. I mean, I'm trying. I'm looking at the schedule. They had that shutout win against St. Louis. And what the hell other game did they even win? It's what, been what, a while. I can't remember. What was the what was the other win in November? What? 
I have no idea. And, and, and if we're literally pointing out the St. Louis game, which granted, like that was that was a game I wrote in my observations. That's a game where like Flyers fans should be proud to be Flyers fans. I stand with that. But like if a game where you got utterly buried in yeah. shots on goal and you depended upon Ivan Provorov blocking like 20 shots and your goalie having an awesome game if that's the game you're pointing to as like hey that was awesome remember that like that's not a replicable formula for success no that was, it was, a, that was, that was a fun it, one game where they won on pure grit but like yeah if you play that game 82 times a year you're gonna lose like 50 of them yeah, it was a it was a gutsy gritty win, but that's by no means a formula. The other yeah. win was the ne- the other win in November was the next week uh, when they beat Chicago at home, and Chicago hasn't won in Philly in like a hundred years, except for of course you know the Stanley Cup final. No um, idea what you're talking about. <laughs> never happened. Yeah, never happened. Uh, I, that's these. You have an interesting uh, interesting take on some of the specific Hextall quotes here, Charlie. Uh, the ones about Moran and how playing the young guys would be a disaster and this whole veteran presence idea. Ooh, so yeah. Hextall, Hextall really seems to believe that like having Andrew McDonald and Brandon Manning and Dale Weiss and Valtteri Filppula makes a difference. And considering how bad this team has been for basically a year now, where is he getting this idea? Yeah, it's a problem. Charlie, please help me understand it. Yeah, well, I, this was just a really interesting aside because it wasn't the main topic of conversation. You know, most of it was focused on how the team was playing at the time and the coach and things like that. But, you know, Hextall's kind of been dancing around the question of, like, why the hell did you send Sam Moran down after having a good camp for about two months now? And this was, he didn't specifically answer that question, but this was as illuminating as you were going to get from him. And he straight up said, well, when I looked the other night, we had a 20-year-old, a 21-year-old, two 22-year-olds, and a 24-year-old defenseman. That's five of our six. That might be the youngest defense I've ever seen. Sort of implying, like, that's not ideal. Well, when you put names to those players, it's a little bit more enlightening because the 20-year-old's Ivan Provorov, the 24-year-old is Shane Gossespierre, the 22-year-olds are Robert Haig, or uh, are, yeah, are, are Robert Haig and um, and Travis Sanheim. So you're basically like you're basically saying that the reason why I didn't want Sam Moran in this lineup is because I wasn't going to make the defense that young. That that was as close to an admission as you were going to get. And I mean, I guess now we know. Now we know that like. It was it was really there was no way three defense were making this team because he was not going to make the defense that young and that's just his opinion. This was not you know Moran could have played as well as possible, but if he didn't outplay Sanheim and uh, and Haig in camp, he wasn't making the team, and that was going to be the same thing for the third defenseman because they weren't going to go that young. And that's that's a, the, that's a problem. The, the exact quote of the veteran presence. I can't explain it to you guys, but it makes a huge difference. Just to patch six kids in there and say, go get them, guys. You're looking for disaster. You're not helping those kids. And I just don't... I I realize, like, Ivan Provorov has said so many times that Andrew McDonald is such a help to him that he must just believe it. So even if it isn't tangible, it's true to him, so it's true. But I, I just... What... Other than, like, you're one of the worst teams in the league. What... How much worse of a disaster could it be? So here's my problem with this. I mean, there are plenty of vets on this team. Like, the whole forward core at this point are vets. Gudis is a vet. Um, Roffel on the back six, he's a vet. So is it that we have to have leadership at every position? 
Like, is that a thing that has to happen? They're all in the same room as far as I know, so I don't know why they can't, you know, glean some of that leadership off of the forward veterans. But then also my problem is that I can understand the case for playing veteran talent over rookies in certain situations. However, that presupposes that the veteran talent that you're talking about is actually talent. And the veteran talent that he's plugging in over these kids they have less skill than the kids so you're saying that you value games played over actual hockey skill and for me that's a big problem like what could brandon manning possibly be telling travis sandheim or robert haig about playing defense yeah what what could it be what could what is his uh, what is this i don't want any of the words coming out of brandon manning's mouth to be about hockey is he like Like, he's giving them tips on like how to get the best snacks from the flight attendant on the team charter planes to what what tips are we getting from him and that's what okay if you want to have these guys around like how is being how is brandon manning on the ice providing leadership like if you want him in the press box and you want him to be like a a coach at practice and hanging around the kids that's all well and good but you know what i know about brandon manning he's not very good no so at the end of the day what could he possibly be telling these guys Uh, like he's a he's a seventh defenseman at best and what really bothers me about this is that so this is hextall's like baseline attitude towards the makeup of a hockey team that's not going to change we are going to have a bunch of young guys that are going to be ready to come up goaltenders forwards defensemen who are going to be ready to play in the nhl but he's going to not want to have young guys on the team there's like a fixed number that he's decided is the maximum allowable amount of guys under the age of 25 there's going to come a point in the next couple of years when all of our best players are under the age of 25. What the fuck are we going to do then? Say, like, Hart and Sandstrom both look like superstars. Does that mean, you like... You can't have two young goaltenders, Bill. Does, does that mean, like, uh, I, I don't know, Anti Niemi, because he's got all this experience, is going to need to be on this team, too? Like, we're going to have to keep one Bruce. of those guys in the AHL, and Anti Niemi has got, got all this experience and leadership that he will... Like, I, I, I can't... That's... When you just break it down, like Chari said, we have a 20-year-old. Yeah, Ivan Provorov, he's your best defenseman. He was a 2015 first overall pick. He should be here. Yeah. We have a 21-year-old. Yes, his name is Travis Sanheim. He was your... What 2014 first overall pick? He should be here. Two 22 year olds. Their names are Haig, who's been here forever. Uh, like 24 year old uh, Ghost, who's a stud. Like I, I don't. When you just put the labels on it, it doesn't make any sense compared to who the players actually are. Yeah, and it's super frustrating that a guy is old and somehow that makes him good. But a guy, and then a guy being young (laughs) somehow makes him bad. Like, it's like this weird thing where, like, arbitrarily we've decided that age is very meaningful, but then also meaningless. Like, it's just, it's, it's like a weird thing to me. It's, it's very bizarre because in sports, it's typically the opposite. You're old, so you're bad. But this team is, is somehow defying all odds and players are getting better as they get into their twilight years i i don't i don't understand i don't understand at all all right before we move on to the next thing it's a question from a listener i wanted to get to um what do you think just the chances are that hackstall is fired 
before the season ends? What do you think the chances are realistically? I don't think Very he's high. going to be. Really? No. I think that so ha- we're the I opposite. Think that, <laughs> yeah, I think that Hextall is going to is going to try to ride this out and make some kind of point that I don't understand, but I mean, it's I I think he's either going to have to fire him in like the next 2 weeks or it's going to be the rest of the season. That's the thing is this was the time. Yeah. They have the 3 yeah, days the off. They're, they don't want they don't want the streak to get to 10 cuz that's just an embarrassing number. I know it's it's arbitrary, but it's 10 is worse than 9. Uh they Double have the 3 days off. Um Yes, Charlie, that's some advanced math right there. There we go. <laughs> we got a number guy, folks. <laughs> like this was the time with the 3-day break and the 9-game losing streak and the fans chanting fire Hackstall and all that. This was the time. If they don't do it now, are they going to fire the guy like on Christmas Day? Like I don't see that happening. No. To me, it to me, it's uh, it really depends on how these next few weeks go. Because I mean, and I'll I'll kind of stick my neck out here. Like I don't necessarily think there's a ton of value in firing Haxel before the end of the year, unless the sh- the, the performance we saw against the Sharks becomes a nightly thing. Like, I just don't know what benefit there really is to getting rid of him now, aside from just making everybody feel better because the evil Dave Haxel is gone, which will. I mean, it'll definitely make the fans happier. It's very um, important to me personally, Charlie. But, but in, in the end, like, if if this was a one-game thing and they go back to playing, like, generally like they did in the in the losing streak where they're playing okay and they get some balances and they start winning games, and, yeah, there's no way they're making the playoffs. But, like, they weren't. Even if they made the playoffs this year, they weren't going to do anything anyway. If that's what it ends up being, like, I'm okay riding it out to the end of the year. I don't think there's going to be any long-term damage done to the organization or done to the individual players. And then at the end of the year, just fire them. Because, like, I'm, I'm, fair, I'm fairly certain that he's not the right coach for this team over the long term. But you generally fire guys midseason if you you feel like it's a contending team and you want to save the season. There's no saving this season. Nope. And even and even if you did save this season, what are you saving? You're saving a first round playoff loss. Like who gives a shit? The only way I'd really advocate for him to get fired now right now is if the next five games look exactly like the Sharks game because that tells me the team just doesn't want to play for this guy anymore and I don't want Nolan Patrick and Travis Sanheim developing an environment where everyone hates the coach and no one's trying and they're out of sync all the time like that's a disaster for me if they're a 50% possession team the rest of the way and they're they're slightly below average like I'm okay holding on to Hacksaw for the end of the year for that but if this continues, if this game was a harbinger of what's to come over the next few weeks, I don't think Hextel will have a choice. Then he has to get rid of it because that's just a disaster. I love when Charlie swears. I know it's fun. <laughs> so I actually, right. I like when Charlie's fired up. It 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 gives me life. It yeah. does. So I I think that he's got to get rid of him sooner rather than later. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna take the complete opposite side. While there's a, a lot of truth, and I, I agree with just about everything that you guys have said. Um. This holding on to the problem and letting it linger is making Hextall look really bad. And that's, but I like the pride of authorship thing where he believed in Hack initially and it was a bold move. But still, like that's still making him look really bad. Like you believed in this guy who sucks and you can't correct for your mistake. Like that's, 
you can't and you can't see that he sucks like this is making Hextall look bad and if and when you know eventually locker rooms do get toxic and it doesn't have to be a toxic player it doesn't have to be a toxic coach it doesn't have to be a bad relationship and the coach doesn't have to have lost the room enough losing will do that where they start pointing fingers at each other and it just makes shit really really bad and that is not something that I want any any of the babies I don't want Nolan Patrick in there I absolutely do not want Nolan Patrick in an environment where people are pointing fingers yeah and saying that you you blew your coverage here we're losing games because of you I I don't want that I don't want that for the kids and it's not an an inexcusable amount of time but if you can avoid it avoid it at all costs I just um like I don't just I'll, I'll just jump in real quick and I think I think kind of my opinion is that like I'm worried that's going to happen. I don't think that's happening yet. If that starts happening, my opinion changes. Then it's, yeah, he needs to go. I don't think that's happening yet. That's why I think Hextall jumped out in front of this because he was afraid it was going to start happening. But if it doesn't happen, if if the, the room generally holds together and it's just a room held together by a coach that's not that good at NHL coaching, then I'm okay him sticking around for the end of the year. But if things fall apart, that's another story. But I don't... I'm not ready to fire a coach midseason over what might happen. I want to wait till it does happen and then can. I well, don't I think. They... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bill. I, I'm just. I don't think he's gonna be fired midseason. I want him to be fired very, very badly. But like I said, like okay, you're gonna then go, turn turn to. You're not gonna replace a coach that you brought in from college with a guy with more uh, another guy with no experience so it probably won't be Knobloch so you're either going to empower empower Gord Murphy or Anne LaPerriere or Scott Gordon or you're going to go out and get some reach unemployed retread like a Daryl Sutter or a Dan Bilesma and I don't want any of those things to happen I'd rather I guess wait till I guess the least of the evils is waiting till the end of the year, sticking it out with Dave Haxtell and then doing a real coaching search, not just settling for the only one left at the bar at 2 a.m. Basically. See, I don't think, I don't think that's the least of the evils. I think that that's just holding on to a rotten piece of stinking flesh just because <laughs> you liked how it looked when it was still a, a cow. Like I, I think that, <laughs> I don't, I don't. I went places. With you're that really analogy. holding on. You're really holding on to that thread. <laughs> I, I, you know, I went places. I, I, I just think, you know, that a change needs to happen. Just do it because it's not helping anybody. It's definitely not helping Hackstall by like letting him stick around and, and fail. Like it, it would. It's not helping anybody. All right. So uh, we got this question on Twitter. I believe it was posed to you and I, Steph, from uh, at. Oh yeah, one zero one zero one. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, they asked if uh, if Hextall owes Hextall a roster shakeup, like a trade or something, uh, before firing him. If if he fuck be- no, no, <laughs> absolutely not. It doesn't. I don't think Hextall owes Hextall a goddamn thing. Nope. That would he's be given the- him. He's given him enough rope to hang himself and that's exactly what Hackstall is doing and not only this that would, but like what does yeah. a trade accomplish sorry charlie nothing no no go ahead kelly go ahead i was just gonna say like what does a trade accomplish because are you trading to make the team better this year so that you can make some kind of stupid playoff push because that's dumb 
Are you just going to dump core pieces for for more rookie talent that you're never going to pay play? That seems dumb. So I don't really know what even the point of a trade at this point would be. Not to mention the fact that you don't really have that many tradable parts. Yeah, I think for me, like, not only does Hextall not owe Hextall a roster shakeup, that would be literally the worst thing they could do right now. And I go back to our old pal, Peter Laviolette. Peter Laviolette apparently was on such hot water with the organization that they were willing to fire him a week into the into the year, yet they gave him the ability to advocate for and get a Vinny LeCavalier signing. You never let coaches who look like they might be on the way out change up the, the roster that will be there when they're gone. Because yeah. then you find out that maybe you didn't have to do that because maybe the next guy could have done something with the guy you shipped out because of the guy who doesn't look like he's going to be here for the extended future. So no, that's like literally the worst thing they could do because like un- unless you have just decided that this is your guy for the next three years. And in Oof. that case, I mean, I don't know if they'll have a fan base. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all I wanted to know. Uh, yeah. I, I, like I'm torn. Like I want to see something happen, but also just to suit Hackstall, absolutely no, not. Yeah, like no. I don't want to. Uh, and honestly, like we said, um, they don't have many tradable pieces. Wayne Simmons, you'd be selling like at his absolute worst since he got here. I don't yeah. want pennies on the dollar for Wayne Simmons. And Jordan Wheel was just healthy scratch the other night. Like other than those, like you're selling him for well below value, uh, maybe. Um, like other than them, who can you possibly trade? And I don't want to sell my like possible commodities that I could get something for later uh, for nothing because they're not playing their best hockey right now. Um, so, can can I just this isn't on the outline? I just want to switch gears just for a second because okay. as you were saying that the only player that I don't think we've really talked about in a couple weeks is Scott Lawton. Um, yeah, what's up with him? I don't know. I, I was really, really worried yesterday that he was dead um, because he, he, <laughs> he was not hurt, dead. Yeah. yeah he he took the knee to knee yeah. and, and then I just saw him walk down the tunnel and Kelly had to tell me that he was not dead because I was worried. And it's very uncomfortable for me to be worried about Scott Lawton. This is a brand new <laughs> feeling, but I was, he's still playing pretty well. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Even without Lear, sure. even without Raffle, he's still playing pretty well could he be someone that they look at possibly trading i don't know why you would yeah Yeah, i mean i wouldn't right now this is probably the one time in his entire career that i'm like no i wouldn't trade yeah let's keep him (laughs) you just developed him into something useful i think alex appleyard this morning said you know one of the positives of this season if you're looking for them is that you know lawton looks like you know a pretty good bottom sixer you know maybe he's a third line guy true talent and if he's on your fourth line you got a third line talent on your fourth line that's great that's cool like mm-hmm. yeah i guess you could trade him but i mean you're not gonna he's not a guy you're ever gonna have to pay that much because he's never gonna score that much and he seems pretty good so i don't know what the benefit there to trading a, a useful bottom sixer is especially after you spent the better part of two seasons trying to get this out of him now you've got it out of him might as well take advantage of it and he's, uh, yep. you can, like, I'm just screwing around with the lines doing my, you know, fantasy booking thing. 
And, uh, like, he just, he's a versatile guy in your bottom six that you can put different kinds of players with him, it seems, and he'll be able to, like, it won't be some sort of tire fire. Like, it, you could you could move different pieces with him. So, I, and honestly, what could you actually get for Scott Lawton? Like we said, he's just now turned into a bottom sixer. Uh, I want to either get a, a, a future piece or improve the team now, and I don't see how you could do that by accomplishing trade. I don't see how you could accomplish that by trading Lawton, but he's definitely a bright spot uh, to this point uh, on a team with, you know, the second fewest wins in the NHL, one of the few bright spots. So I found an interesting little tidbit in uh, in Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts. This is not Ice Sport Radio, do not adjust your devices, uh, but I want to relate it to the Flyers when I'm done. Uh, in Friedman's 31 Thoughts... We th- do that in Ice Sport Radio, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in Friedman's 31 Thoughts, he wondered about how Colorado's vets... Uh, we're reacting to trading Duchesne and looking to the future. Uh, even when, you know, an organization makes these moves, you wonder how the veterans react to this kind of thing because no veteran is thinking about three years from now. It's just not the way any sort of athlete, you know, really puts it. So he asked Eric Johnson, and Eric Johnson said, it didn't bother me. Uh, Joe Sackick and I talked a lot about it. I saw the beating he was taking from the media for not doing it earlier. He stuck to his guns, which was not easy to do. When we saw Gerard play his first game, we were thinking, wow, he's good. The rest of the assets were gravy because this guy is a stud. We are very happy for the return. Do you believe Ron Hextall is having these types of conversations with Jeru Voracek and Simmons? No. So, so, So the short answer is no. The longer answer is... Like, I think the situations are different enough that I'm not angry that I don't think he's having them. Like, Duchesne was the star player on that team. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe him, like him, Landis Cog, McKinnon, but, like, yeah. Duchesne was the the key piece. Like, that's for maybe not as high profile, but that's, like, the Maple Leafs trading away Phil Kessel. Like, he's kind of the face of that franchise in a lot of ways. And if you're going to trade away a guy like that, like, you kind of have to have conversations with the other members of your core because they're going to be a little bit, you're just going to be concerned. They're going to wonder what's next. You know, could they be next? What's the what's the plan? You know, Braden Shen, because I know you're, you're using this as a lead into Braden Shen. Like, Braden Shen's a good player. He's sure, certainly playing like a core player in St. Louis, but he was never really a core player here. So he was He was a piece. He was an important piece, but he wasn't... Drew Voracek like if you let me put it this way if they were going to trade Drew yeah Ron Hexel has to have a conversation with Jake Voracek but I don't know if he has to have a conversation with those guys if he's going to trade Braden Shack and that's that's something I wanted to pose next oh I I actually kind of disagree I I think that Giroux probably did get the heads up that Shen was going to be traded maybe maybe it was before it broke to the media but after Braden knew maybe because I I do think that he was part of the core here Hextall always had his reservations about calling Shen a uh, core piece. Hextall specifically had those reservations. Um, But was there any indication the team wasn't happy about trading Braden Shen? He had 89 goals over the previous four years, tied with Giroux for second most on the team behind Simmons. I mean, as much as we don't want to call him, you know, a part of the core that I guess is made up of, Giroux, Voracek, Couturier, Provorov, Ghost. He wasn't one of those guys. 
his production was in line with them. Uh, so when you're going to move that guy and bring back Yuri Laterra, who is not good, uh, plus some futures, like, do you think there was some indication that they weren't happy about or there should have been a conversation or anything about that? I doubt it. I mean, these guys are professionals. And also, they didn't trade Braden Shen for Yori Laterra. They took Yori Laterra to get two first for Braden Shen. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but you're, you are purposefully making the decision, we are going to take production out of our lineup for hope for the future. That's We're going to move 25 goals for two first-round picks. Uh, for for like, something at the benefit that the players that are on this team are probably never going to see. Yeah. Like, how many games is Wayne Simmons going to play with Morgan Frost? Yeah. My guess is not many. Yeah, it's – I'm sure they weren't thrilled. I mean, you're a player. You want like, – that, that's why – that's why, for example, like, when, when Ottawa made that trade for Alex Burrows last year, and, like, it was a dumb trade. They traded away a really good prospect for a guy who's, like, 34. And they interviewed everybody in the the Ottawa locker room. And everybody in the Ottawa locker room, yeah, this is a great trade. I love it. And people were laughing at them. It's like, well, no shit they're going to say it's a great trade. They gave up someone, like a, 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 a concept for an actual player that's going to help them win now. So no shit NHL players who are trying to win now are going to be happy about getting a guy who's going to help them win now. So in this case, yeah, I'm sure the players looked at it and were like, well, I mean, Braden scored a lot of goals for us. That kind of sucks. I do think, though, that they probably... You know, if you're talking about the impact it had on the team, it probably helped that they traded Braden Shen on the same night that they got Nolan Patrick. Yeah. Because the players mm-hmm. were like, well, I mean, it sucks we lost Braden Shen, but we just added Nolan freaking Patrick. All right. I just wanted to I just wanted to get everyone's opinion on that. I just read it and thought it was interesting. So uh I wanted to start this question of the week segment, and it seems to have gotten some decent responses on Twitter. Uh, I wanted to know how fans, how our listeners felt about some surprising starts and who you were more surprised by, whose scoring pace you are more surprised by. I wanted to know if you thought Claude Giroux's start, he's on pace for 36 goals, which is eight more than his career high, and 92 points, which is his most since 2011-12 and second highest total of his career. If you thought that pace was more surprising than Wayne Simmons whose 23 goals he's on pace for would be fewest as a flyer, and his 46 points also fewest since he was in Los Angeles, who you thought uh, would be more surprising. I toyed with adding Sean Couturier, but everyone's answer would be Sean Couturier. Yep. Right now his scoring <laughs> pace right now his scoring pace is that of 46 goals, his, which is 31 more than his career high. He needs one more to match it. Uh, it's not yet December. Uh, 85 points, more than double that ever-elusive 40-point total that everyone says he never got to. So I limited <laughs> I limited it to Giroux and Simmons. Giroux, his bounce back, or Simmons, his regression. Who are you more surprised by? I have been calling this season the season of Claude Giroux since before training camp started. So the, I'm not at all surprised that this is a strong season for him. And I'm thrilled. I need to go back and listen to um, the episodes that we were doing when I I predicted how many points he would have this season because I want to see how far he exceeds that. I think you said 30 goals on the 700 level. That sounds right. To be be fair, Seth, didn't you say he was going to score 30 goals last year too? Yes. I don't remember. (laughs) Yes, he did. (laughs) It's possible. (laughs) I remember specifically. 
I said no, he was going to get to 65 points easy. Look at him making me look stupid. He's going to get <laughs> well over that. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, to be honest, we've talked here about, you know, Wayne Simmons and how he's a power forward and they don't age very well. We spent a whole episode talking about that this summer. It sucks. And I think a lot of it is injury. So I I guess maybe there's more surprise there because I don't really think that this is who he is as a player. I think that he's, he's better. I just spit all over myself. I think he's better than, um, than, than what the production is showing. I think that this week will probably help him in, in, feeling better um but yeah I guess out of out of the two probably more surprised about Simmer yeah I'm I'm definitely more surprised by Simmer but I will say I am pleasantly surprised that Claude Drew is finding this level of success playing at wing and not at his normal center position so when I was you know saying that I had no worries about Claude Drew and that I thought he was going to bounce back this season I expected it to be at his normal position um so it's kind of fun that it's not that's a surprise but yeah, I mean, I'm, I definitely didn't expect Simmer to drop off this much. And like Steph said, I'm, I'm hoping it's mostly injury-related and that he'll come back at some point. But, yeah, it's pretty surprising that he's, he's not very good this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely – I'm going to take the other side. I'm definitely more surprised about Giroux. And I think that's primarily because, like, you know, yes, Simmons isn't off to a good start, but he's really not that far behind his – expected pace like bill you said he's on pace for 23 goals i expected 30 he's seven goals behind where we expected him to be like that's what that that's two weeks of hot wayne simmons i realize and then he's right back there whereas with Giroux, like drew's on pace for 92 points like i was i would have been happy with 65 truthfully i would have been happy with 65 and he is doing incredibly well now, do I, I think that's necessarily going to hold up? I mean, I think he's going to stay playing well. I don't think he's going to stay playing this well. But I was I was very concerned about Claude Giroux. I was very concerned that we were being we were being fans in hoping that his poor season last year was just due to injuries, and that was not the truth. It was just us hoping to God that Claude Giroux was still Claude Giroux and there was a reason for why he was bad last year that wasn't. He's just getting older. So I was worried about that and he's proving that he's definitely not the guy he was last year, which is awesome, but still surprises me that his bounce back isn't just to the 70 point range. His bounce back might be far beyond that. Yeah, I am uh, I am far, I, I'm more surprised by Giroux because I, I've been saying for a while now, like hey, it's a uh... Looking like he's really declining, like this is real. And the fact that he could get, like, he's on pace for 92 points. The year he was an MVP finalist, he had 93. You know, so, like, all right, that's really surprising. The surprising thing about Wayne Simmons, yes, he's not that far off his typical pace, but his pace has been so steady here. His production, his goal production as a flyer, 28. Then 15 in the lockout year, he paced for like 27. Then 29, 28, 32, 31. This year, pacing for 23, while it's not that far off a of 30, and a, a hot streak will definitely like put him right back on par, Like he's been so steady. His point totals over the last four previous seasons, 60, 50, 60, 54. Mm-hmm. Now he's on pace for 46. It's just he was so steady that... 
any sort of deviation is surprising to me, but I have to go with Giroux as the more surprising. What did the listeners so, say? So, oh, in sorry, terms sorry. of this steadiness, Wayne Simmons is a very streaky player. Yes. And, and everyone was very, very upset when I would compare him to Braden Shen in the way that Braden Shen was inconsistent. Wayne was streaky, essentially meaning the same thing. <laughs> so... I'm pretty confident that he'll pick it up at some point. I I have a lot of confidence that he'll hit that hot streak and and reach the same level of points where he's been, just because that's the kind of player that he is. But to say that he's consistent over seasons is fair, but during those seasons, he is streaky. He is. However, like his streaks are usually... He had five goals in four games and then none in seven. And then right now he's got one in his last 17. Like, that isn't the streaky yeah, Wayne Simmons bad. we're used to. Uh, our our listeners who answered the poll on uh, on the old Twitter.com, 52% said Giroux to 48 Simmons. So it was oh, wow. pretty, close. pretty close. Giroux's huh. uh, bounce back a little bit more surprising than Simmons' slow start. And I want to follow up Simmons' slow start with this question. Which is worse? The fact that Wayne Simmons has one goal in his last 17 games, he has only four goals and seven assists in the 24 games since his opening night hat trick, and he's on the worst. About that and he's on the worst scoring pace of his seven-year Philadelphia tenure, or that he's tied for third on the team in goals, and his 14 points are beyond are behind only the Ginger Line and Gostas Bear for the team lead, and the fact that players like Konechny, Wheel, Patrick, Provorov, Sanheim haven't surpassed him. Yeah, that second one's worse. Oh, it's just absolutely the second one. <laughs> and, 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 and I'd like to well, kind of... Go, go ahead, Steph. Yeah, like, let's back the fuck up a little bit. So... Patrick was injured for a long time. Like he hasn't played for every game this season. Provorov is not going to be scoring goals like a forward. Sandheim hasn't had his first NHL goal yet, which is something else entirely. But that that list that you you ticked off, like that's not entirely fair to all of the players there, isn't it? No. I mean, why isn't San- – Sanheim was a first-round pick three years ago. Why is – doesn't he's – a, He's a defenseman. Yeah, he plays he's defense. not a forward. <laughs> so and, does, he doesn't pl- and he doesn't play on the power play either. So does Shane Gostisbehere. Like, I mean – Yeah, but Gostisbehere plays on the power play. Yeah, but all of those forwards should be performing better than Wayne Simmons at this point. Patrick was out for a long time. And that's yeah. on Patrick. He shouldn't get hurt. Oh, my God. Don't even we're, start with your, your bullshit about how, again. well, we'll just don't get concussions. Get the fuck out of here with that, Bill. I don't have time for that today. Best ability is availability. He wasn't available. That's why, Nico, he <laughs> I, shared I don't, I don't have I don't have time for your bullshit today. <laughs> I, I'm just, I don't have the energy or the patience to deal with it on this day where John Boric forced me to write a thousand words about him. I don't have the energy or the patience. He wore pink and white stripes on Philly Sports Talk tonight. I know oh, he did. I'm sure Jesus that he walked Christ. into the building and someone was there handing him a shirt. Like, you have to fucking wear this. All right, oh so God. I maybe... But, but yeah, to, to jump in, Bill, I, I wanted to say something real quick. Like, the idea that Claude Giroux, as you said, is on pace for the same number of points, basically, that he had in his second in the MVP voting year, and the Flyers are on a nine-game losing streak and have little to no chance of the playoffs, should, like... That, that, that should that should shine a spotlight on just how bad the rest of the roster has been this year. Yeah, yeah. 
that said, would you break up the top line then? I might actually. I mean, they really? tried everything. They've tried a lot of other things. Like, yeah, just to at some see point what they're happens. gonna have to. I mean, worst case scenario, they could, they could always just... go back to it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like worst case scenario, you break them up for a couple of games, see what happens. Nothing happens, put them back together. All right, that's fine. But I think at this to point what, they have to what end? They have are to we try. still are we still trying to make the playoffs this season? Because no, I'm trying to not be embarrassed on a nightly basis. I mean, they got <laughs> to win some play, games. Like, you should they have still to play good scoring. hockey. I don't care if you're not a playoff team or whatever. No. You shouldn't be last year's Colorado Avalanche. No, like, this and is that's fucking embarrassing. Yeah, and and even are if we no, that's a question. Are we on pace for fewer points than last year's? No, Avalanche? no absolutely no. not. <laughs> no. That was, I, mean, I mean, if we if we keep <laughs> really up this. If this ten, if this nine game losing streak no. creeps up, then then yes. But if they it don't, becomes a twenty no, game I, losing I streak. I looked this up at one point. The Avs last year had like the worst season since like two thousand. Oh, it was, it was horrific. It was horrific. Yeah. Um. All right. So I guess I went a little a little overboard earlier in saying you know they're calling it unacceptable, but they're not doing anything. Um. They did do something today. Oh a, sure. Donique Martel was sent down. And thank oh, God. The move that we've all been waiting for. <laughs> I, for one, have been tired of seeing okay. Danik Martell, or Donique, whatever the fuck his name is. I think they call him Danik. Well, I'm right? calling yeah, him Yeah, I Danik. think it's Danik. I, for one, am tired of him shitting all over the ice and costing us points. Oh, wait, I'm he's so not doing that. I'm <laughs> his tiny frame. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I mean, there's, there, I mean, there's no way he's coming back up, right, Charlie? It's. I guess it's theoretically possible, but it just seems unlikely. If there's if there's any common thread that we've seen this year with their roster moves is that when the Flyers, when the Flyers show their cards, like they're not, they're not you know pulling a sleight of hand here. Like if they send a guy down, it's probably because they want him to go down. Yeah. And if they did it after they didn't use him that much in the last two games, probably because they didn't use him that much. Last, what, it, what it comes down to is they probably want to get Wheel back in the top nine. They don't think Wheel's a fourth liner, so the only way to get him back in the top nine is to replace Martell with Wheel. And Martell, if he's not playing, they want him down in the AHL. Like, it it sucks. I'd like to see more of Martell, but in the end, like, I, I guess maybe I'm just so drained about yelling about everything else that yeah. like I just can't muster the emotion to like get angry about this particular thing. So one thing I wanted to actually ask you about this is, sorry, Bill, I saw. Um... Someone on Twitter saying that they brought Martell up to spark the offense, and since he didn't spark the offense, he didn't do his job, so now he's getting sent back down. And um, if there's any truth to that, it seems like they're holding these young guys to a much higher standard than they are anybody else, which seems counterproductive. Yeah, if it's Martell's job before? to spark the offense, what is what is Dale Weiss's job? What is Yuri Laterra's job? Just, just to own a jersey, like they know how to tie their skates. I, well, well, to t- to be fair though, like I think the reason why that does kind of hold water with Martell is because Martell's not a guy that they're super invested in. You know, it, it it he's not a guy where you know if you call up if you call up Travis Sanheim, Travis Sanheim's staying with the team for the season because they have a lot invested in Travis Sanheim. Danik Martell was a okay. Here's this guy coming into the year we didn't think much of. He's on a ridiculous hot streak. He keeps scoring. We're still not really sure what he is, but maybe he can carry that over into the NHL and starts continue to score in the NHL, and damn, we need somebody who can score, so screw it. Let's give him a shot, and he didn't, so all right, now he goes back to being the 
B-level prospect that we thought he was going into the year, and now we send him back down. Like, is that fair? Probably not, because had that shot he hit the post on in the Pittsburgh game go in, is, does he get sent down? Probably not. He probably stays, and that's kind of bullshit because it's just pure luck whether that goes in or not, but that's kind of what you deal with when you're a but prospect then when, who isn't when, isn't viewed as a high-end prospect in an organization. You get your shot, and if you get lucky, you stay, and if you don't, you don't. When you look at it that way and think, oh, if it goes in, he stays, when Hextall then says, oh, well, the process is good, so we're going to keep that up, well, that's process. That's getting in position to get the shot that could go in. It didn't, but next time it could. It's just, it's just, so, it's just so hypocritical to me, but I want to <laughs> move on. I want to move on. I want to do some quick hits real fast. We've been doing this a while. I know everyone's show. got shit to do. Uh, right. Uh, Charlie, you mentioned Jordan Wheel getting back into the lineup, getting back into the top nine. Why was he scratched? What's he doing wrong? Um, well, I think he's been pretty good in the middle of the ice, but his he hasn't been as good on the attack. Like, last year he was winning tons of puck battles along the boards. He was getting in the front of the net with ease, and he was always there. It seemed like whenever a puck was loose, he'd be there to bang it in. He's just not doing that this year, and... You know, maybe part of that is the injury because he did start out the year pretty strong. But ever since he got hurt, he missed a couple games. He really hasn't looked like the same guy. Um, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's he's still banged up. Maybe it's he just doesn't have the confidence he had in the beginning of the year. But for him, it's just, you know, be more assertive in the offensive zone, man. Just take more shots. Be more aggressive. Play your game. He, he, he hasn't been playing his game in the offensive zone over the past couple weeks. Take more still, shots. Still be better more than assertive. Dale Weiss or Latera, though. Yeah. Take more shots, be more assertive. I feel like you could say that about pretty much everyone on the team. Um, so I want to just ask you guys, assess Shane Gostas Bear real fast. First 11 games... He's perfect, I can do nothing wrong. First 11, <laughs> first 11 games, one goal, 12 assists, plus three. 11 games since returning from injury when he was boarded in Toronto. Uh, two goals, four assists, minus four. Um, I don't love to use plus minus, but it's there, and I think when you have an eight goal swing like that, um, it's worth noting uh, when the offensive production also isn't there. So, how would you assess Shane Gostas Bear basically since he came back from uh, the injury in Toronto? I mean, he's had a couple of garbage games. Um, it's not all been roses with him, but I'm I'm okay with it. I mean, he's still a young guy. I'm okay. That's the thing. Like we said before, I'm okay with guys like Shane Gostisbehere sometimes making mistakes or having garbage games. I'm not super okay with Brandon Manning having a garbage game because he's going to continue to get minutes. But I think, I mean, he's not having the best season, but I'm not, I'm not mad about it. I'm not hanging any of this on Shane Gostisbehere. No, and a lot of people are, yeah. which I think is is absolutely insane. So, yes, he takes more risks because that's the player that he is. That's why he earned the contract that he just got this last offseason. He's going to do that. He is an offensive player, and he's perfect and can do no wrong. Yeah, the riskiness is what makes – people forget that it's the riskiness that makes people like him, but sometimes the riskiness doesn't pay off. When it pays off, you know, everyone's in love with him, and when it doesn't, they're not, and that's probably just what we're going to have to deal with him over his entire career with this fan base. 
Yeah, he's kind of he hasn't been playing that well recently. Like I'm less concerned about the big mistakes that people are always going to harp on. You know, the blown coverage, whatever. You know, he he knows that he screwed up. He's working towards fixing it. Like this isn't a case of a guy who's just like, oh, I don't care. I don't care. I made that mistake. Like you listen and talk after games. Like he's taking this hard. He's taking his losing streak hard, and he's doing everything he can to fix it. I'm a little bit more concerned about the fact that like he does seem to get buried in the defensive zone a bit more. Um, that he did in the beginning of the year. And I, I, I attribute that partially to him be playing with Manning for a lot because both of them are playing further up in the lineup than I think is ideal. You know, Manning certainly should not be getting number two, number three defensive minutes. And truthfully, like, I really like Shane Goss' bear, but in an ideal situation, I think at even strength, he's maybe your four or five. You know, he gets sheltered. He gets some. He gets minutes against third and fourth lines and gets a lot of offensive zone starts, and he eats that up. But now because of the kids and because people were hurt and because Gudis is out, like they were using him against top lines. And, you know, I don't know if I really want him holding up against those guys. I want him I want him getting easier matchups and dominating in them, and he's not getting them. And then you add in the fact that he's coming off of a concussion and possibly other upper body injuries. You know, that probably explains it. All right, gang. Uh, do you think it's worth getting into this Eklund rumor? Or you want to save it for a rainy day? I'm already nine minutes past the start of Vikings. Rainy All right. day, that shit. All right, it's uh, it's fun. We're gonna we're gonna trade Andrew McDonald for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. It'll be fine. We'll get to oh, it. Yeah, that trade. That's a great we'll trade. That. We'll get to it on a rainy day. Uh, that is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out Draft.com for all your fantasy hockey and all your fantasy sports needs. There's all sorts of stuff going on. You can get yourself in a live draft right now. It's better than those salary cap sites. Check it out. That's Draft.com. Search it on your app store. My name is Bill Matz for Charlie, for Kelly, for Steph. Have a great week, everybody. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>